My name's Chris Iwillimo. Welcome to Man Marking. We're asking, where's the talking lads? You only get into, out the game what you put into it, Shelley. Mm-hmm. And I put everything into it I could and still do for the people and for the people that I was playing for and the people that I was manager for. I didn't cheat them out of anything. So I put all my heart and soul to the extent that my family suffered. Do you regret that at all? Oh, yeah, I regret, oh, I regret it very much. Yeah. Somebody said the football is a matter of life and death to you. I said, listen, it's more important than that. everybody, welcome to Man Marking, Series 3, Episode 4. Today we have on the show the effervescent Chris Iwellimo, a man as big in personality as he is in stature. Right, do you want me just to answer your question or do you want me to just rabble on? Because I do, I talk for fun, mate. So basically, <laughs> if you ask one question, I'll probably get through the full one section without taking a breath. But I'll just, if, uh, yeah, just carry on. I see you just pop in and just... Uh, Interrupt me at any time. Well, how yeah. long we got? <laughs> right, I, uh, Crystal Wellamo, uh, I'm striker, uh, 18 clubs in uh, a career spanned over just uh, just shy of 20 years. It took me, started in Scotland, took me to over to Denmark, Danish Super League, then took me back to England, obviously back over to Germany, uh, the second Bundesliga, uh, and then back to England again. Uh, if you talk about it, probably five promotions. Got promoted from every league in English football. Uh, played in the Premier League. Represented my country, Scotland. Uh, so no, as I say, love love the journey. Uh, wish it could continue forever, but that's just uh, not physically and probably mentally possible. Uh, probably aside from uh, from your old strike partner Jamie Kjordan, who's who's still going at the age of forty-four. <laughs> well, that's the thing, you know. I, I I took a lot of hits. Jamie's one of those. He's a uh, very intelligent player, so uh, no, I'm, I'm, and you know what, he's long may long may continue, and what is he 40, 41, 42? Probably he's, older. I think he's, he's forty four now, Chris. Very goes. That's yeah. it's just scary, and he's still he's still banging the goals in. Know, you know what I mean? Know. So I'm, uh, makes yeah. me sick. Makes me sick. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, I'm Ryan. I'm in the hot seat this week, and as always, I'm joined by my counterparts, Birkenhead's very own Chuckle Brothers, Danny and Ant. How are we, fellas? We feeling good today? Yes, I'm good, mate. I'm very good. I'm enjoying you in in the hot seat, Ryan. As with with anything that you wear, it it, it suits you down to a T. Oh, thanks, mate. That's that's nice to hear. And are you having a good day thus far? Yeah, I mean, I've uh, I've had I had a nice bacon butty. Had a couple of games of FIFA on with my uh, fantastic Newcastle team, and now I'm sat down talking to you, fellas. So all's well in the world. Great to hear. And, and how are you today? I think you, you sank a few beers last night. You feeling okay? Uh, yeah, doing all right. Just getting through the uh, the stages of, of a hangover. But yeah, going all right. Going okay. Got my bottle of water next to me. Just keep me going. Uh, Will there be any consumption of greasy food um, or stodge, as people like to call it, to get you through later on? <laughs> I'm sure there, there might be. A, I might partake in, in some of that, to be honest. Um, but I think, that, I think there's a, a, a slow... Slow cook bolognese going on at the moment, so I look forward to that. The house is full of wonderful smells, and it's not from me, which is great. <laughs> that's uh-huh. slow cook bolognese. That's well, terrific. Um, so before we start, lads, this weekend we've seen some horrendous VAR decisions, and I don't want to talk about VAR because everybody talks about it, but 
I want to talk about what's the worst decision you've ever seen given in a football match. And just to sort of give you an idea, I'm talking England's own Graham Paul giving three yellow cards to a player in a World Cup, that sort of level of decision. And I'm going to start with you, Dan. There is unfortunately a litany of these throughout football history. It's quite a uh, hot topic on the the football phone-ins. Not that I listen to the football phone-ins, but I've been told. Um, but the one that I've gone for is from the, I think it was 2008 League Cup final. Might have been another year, who cares? But it was the League Cup final, United against Villa, which I think United won 2-1 in the end. And in the first minute, I think it was literally like 30 seconds in, Gabby Agbonlahor racing clear for Villa gets taken down by Vidic as he enters the goal-scoring region and receives only a yellow card. Which... And he's getting away from Vidic. Agbonlahor goes down. It's a penalty for Aston Villa. Three and a half minutes into the final. And Vidic was always struggling. It looked for a second when Agbon the Hawks he got in front of him that he was going to go through on goal and then he seemed to miscontrol the ball a little bit. In the end, I don't think Vidic can have any argument about the fact that he's caught him. The outstretched leg is over. And he's got a hold of the shirt, the leg comes across, it's 2001. Yeah. Even now, looking back on it, 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 um, it seems like one of those really weird decisions where you just can't fathom why he was only given a yellow card. Nowadays, obviously, you've got the double jeopardy rule, so he would have only been given a yellow card, but... Yeah, it was a really peculiar decision. It was just like obviously a red card. Ant, what about yourself? Uh, oh, there's there's loads, isn't it? You can pick from. Um, just in turn, because you mentioned VAR and obviously we've got goal line technology as well. Um, the one that stands out to me was the Freddie Sears ghost goal. Um, Could see that it went in. I mean, it's absolutely ridiculous. When he, and I, I don't know how I don't know how they keep the jobs, mate. I think I just I feel sorry for the players. I feel sorry for the fans who travelled all there. If that had happened at the other end of the pitch, there would have been an absolute riot, an absolute riot. Because it's only us, just get brushes away. And no. The best thing is, at one stage, the fourth official was telling me that the, the linesman at the far end there, he was that busy him, he's trying to invent a free kick. But I'm, I bet they watched the television and they know there's no such no thing as a free kick. Um, oh, wow, yeah. Against. Bristol City and the thing that really annoyed me about this aside from the fact that it went in and it hit the back of the net um, was the fact that it hit the the metal bit on the bottom so obviously the net for me like if it, if a ball comes out and bounces out it looks rubbish when a goal goes in I'm, I'm not a big fan it's got a nestle in there <laughs> so straight away your, your goal nets aren't good enough they're not good enough um, <laughs> but it, it it went in. Everyone saw it went in. All the all the whole crowd saw it went in, and because it bounced out, I don't know what the referee was thinking. I don't know what the the linesman was thinking. No one saw it. Like they just went, oh yeah, that's just come straight out. So I don't know if they thought he hit the post or something. But the thing that struck me was after the game. Um, I think I think the game ended like nil nil, but I think it was like quite an important point for for Bristol City. And um, after the game, I'm sure it was Gary Johnson comes out and was like, oh yeah, we knew it went in. Um, but you know the ref didn't give it, and I was just like, "Well, it's just blatant cheating, then, isn't it?" I was like, "You can't just do that in a game of football." And you know what's really weird about that one, and is <laughs> all of because that was one of the ones I considered as well. 
all of the, the Bristol City players like stop, like because obviously they've conceded a goal. And like it looks like a normal reaction of both teams after a goal scored. So Freddie Sears goes off into the corner and all his teammates are like, ah, going sick. And all the Bristol City players are like, ah, oh, fuck, we conceded a goal there. And for some reason, like the referee just thinks, yeah, that's normal behaviour when someone hits the post. Like, that's, that's what everyone <laughs> does. Like, like I've seen loads of football matches. Classically, what happens when the ball goes in the back of the net is people go mental. But, you know, yeah. they're all doing it now when he's hit the post, which is weird, but I'll just carry on. Like, no bother. Big Chris Wellmo on the show. Um, just a top fella. Um, and can you just let the viewers know why we wanted to speak with him? Because he's is what you just said. He's a top fella. He's a well-known football player. I think we'd seen him up and down the country in, in various different leagues. Um, he'd recently come out and, and spoken about mental health as well and, and how he, he dealt with it in the game. I think a lot of people remember him for that, that miss uh, for Scotland. But he also formed one of uh, one of the nice little partnerships in, in, in football league history with uh, Jamie Curriton um, when Colchester in the championship. And he was always a great big character as well. And, and I, I think one of the one of the uh, the funny things that, that I remember of him was uh, a good mate of ours, Cal McIntyre, who's recently just been hired as run call manager. Um, he was he was doing a like a, a health eating kind of challenge or a week and i think chris chris uh managed to film him you know sneaking a few little uh chocolate digestives in uh i'll try <laughs> and find try and find a video on twitter it, it, it's floating about somewhere but it's very very funny um but yeah he was just a he's just a, a really interesting guy and obviously with the heritage and, and playing in, in in germany as well and or denmark was it denmark both of them both, yeah, there we go. Um, just a, a you know a, a great guy and, and someone who's not come out of the game too too long ago as well. Um, so yeah, so that's why we kind of wanted to speak to him. And it was a it, you know I wasn't involved in the interview, but it was uh, listening back. It was really really interesting. Yeah, I think he could listen to him all day. Yeah, I think he would have talked all day if he didn't have um, arrangements later on that day to, to do some stuff with Wolves. Um, but yeah, he was just a great. He was just a great laugh and. Um, very intelligent as well and come across very sincere. As with every episode, we have a theme. Danny, do you want to let the viewers know this week's theme? Uh, yes. So today's theme is Scotland scoring and SSRIs. And for those who don't know, SSRIs are selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, which are a used type of antidepressant, more of which will be discussed later on. Brilliant. Well, that's great, lads. Um, that's enough from us. This is the Man Marking Podcast. Let's listen to Chris's interview. And uh, I can, I, we can, we can uh, get the, the hint of a Glaswegian accent. I assume yeah, I'm Scottish born and bred. You know, all my all my family's Glasgow, uh, Airdrie, Coatbridge. Uh, my mum's based in Kilmarnock. She's been down there since well, since I was the age of three. She's still there now, so it's uh, yeah, it's big family, big family in the my mum's side, and obviously my dad's my dad dad's Nigerian, but like I say, it was uh, that was something my mum and dad split up when I was about seven years old, uh, and then obviously I've 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 experienced it myself that that the kind of the broken family thing, you know, I never I never spoke to my dad for about fourteen years, uh, and then when we actually started speaking through my sister. 
it was something he, he'd been to games, he'd come over to Denmark and watch games, he'd, you know, so he'd, he never came and made contact with him. It was only through my sister making contact with him that we got back. And I think that was just out, out of respect for my mum. You know, I think it, it never ended on good terms and she wanted uh, him to back off and, 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 and he did that, you know. God, uh, God bless his soul. It's his birthday today, actually. So he's he'd be 70, 72 today. I lost lost my dad's uh, February two thousand and eighteen. So uh, yeah, it's uh, it is, you know, it's one of those. I always called him dad, and he came down. I met his new wife and things like that. So it was uh, he's come down and met my, my my kids and stayed with me and all that as well. So another, it was. Uh, I'm glad that that relationship had had been built before before obviously we lost him. Could you give us an idea as to why you agreed to do an interview for us, Chris? Yeah, well, I think it's it's all about awareness, isn't it? It's about we, we hear it all the time about not not keeping things to yourself, trying to speak. There's there's always people there to help, uh, and it is it's an important message. You know, I think it's 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 to be taken serious as as any other illness or injury. I think obviously I'm 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 I'm, uh, I'm a trustee at Stoke City Community Trust. And uh, I've got a lot of dealings with the PFA, and I know that the PFA are, are trying to implement it. That it's 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 basically uh, it's uh, classed as a as any other injury. So if you if you if something that and it's the, the thing that I threw at them about that was if a player, you know, I've I've I've, I've, I've experienced it myself, and football was my was my get my get out. You know, it was my it was something that took my mind off things. I played the players. We 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 big gambling issues and again football was the let out so my, my thing that I threw at the PFA was if you're taking football away from someone that's experiencing like anxiety and that that the mental health issues that that could be their only escape so you have to it's down to the player how they are you know and we'll get into it about how I felt walking into a dressing room how I felt walking into the training ground when when I was going through my, my, my lowest times but I think we've just got to get that message out there that you know what? <laughs> More of us experience it and, and suffer from it than than, than than what than what we let on. So it's just about having that awareness, knowing that we can speak about it, and knowing that when we do, that we're not we're not judged. Uh, we're actually just kind of helped uh, in the right direction uh, to try and put things right. So I uh, know it's fantastic cause, and that's why I wanted to 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 do my bit. First of all, you just touched on obviously having a Nigerian father, Scottish mother, and growing up in the suburbs of Glasgow and in the 1980s what was that like yeah well you know what i think you know i i've spoke about it i'm an ambassador for show show racism the red card and it was something that i i kind of normalize you know my my everyday school you, you'd be getting racially abused i was the only black family at my, my primary school uh and it was uh obviously my mum dad split up when i was seven uh it wasn't something that really affected me but the message about it as well Today it's it's breaking the law. So that is when I go around schools and universities and I, and I and I'm talking. It's about you have to tell someone, a guardian, a teacher, someone that's in authority, uh, and it will be dealt with. And I think there's more awareness about it now. So I yeah, I, I experienced a lot of racism at school, even when I came through and I broke through uh, into the the, the submarine team. There was a lot of racism. You, 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 there's a lot of moments that just stand in my mind that that I experienced. When I was playing, but you know what? It was a, a growing up. My mum and dad, single, uh, single parent family. You know, my my mum worked her socks off to make sure that, that that me, my brother and sister, we 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 never went without. 
Uh, and uh, yeah, she gave up her life really for us, and that's something that I remind my mum about all the time. Uh, and uh, very proud of, I guess what what we've all what we've all achieved. But I think uh, yeah, it was. I've, I've got to say it was difficult. You know, it was something that my my big brother he he definitely rebelled against. My little sister never really got so much of it for the fact that she had my my big brother and myself. So, but as soon as you went into secondary school. It was uh, a little bit different again because my brother was there. He'd been there a couple of years before. He's even bigger than I am, so there wasn't, there wasn't, yeah, there wasn't really an issue about that. And it wasn't. I was a bit of a geek at school, you know. I really, I really liked school, but I was, I was also the, the, the athletic one. I played for Scotland schools, basketball. We, we, I, my school football team. We never, we never got beat for about two and a half, three years. We were winning cups left, right, and centre. So I was always putting the, the the school's name in the in in the paper for the right reasons. So I, I was a bit kind of privileged at school. I was I wasn't untouchable, but I got away with a hell of a lot more than than most. Yeah, definitely. We've had a few people touch on that of school life being easier when you're part of a sporting team, and I suppose it's it's true, really, isn't it? it helped you develop social circles and, and some good friends. So even if you don't play at the top level, just playing sport in any form is can be a positive. No, exactly. Exactly. You know, I think uh, you, you talk about the, the, the secondary school, you know, the basketball team, there was there was a, a lot of different players, different sizes, shapes, whatever you want to call it, different skill levels. And I, and I remember one of my, uh, Ronnie McLeish, and I remember he actually scored up he scored a a, a, a a free point shot uh, that won us the game against uh, the, one of the teams that hadn't been beaten about four or five years at basketball. So it's all these little things, you know. You watch these uh, these films in America where you you see the the kind of the geeky one at school, the one that's not got the, the kind of skill levels making that winning shot, and there's little stories that just kind of remind you your your your, your past and your, your 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 academic your schooling life, you know, which is brings back some nice memories, but uh, no, it's important. You know, I, I say to my girls to, to get involved. They do they do their, their athletics and long distance running and, and even even football at school. So it is important swimming and all that, that you keep yourself active uh, because it is, it's, it's definitely something that I needed to do. You know, I think uh, we'll talk about, I, I was on anti antidepressants and all that, but we'll get there. But it was serotonin, and it's what the body naturally releases anyway when you go to the gym. So that's yeah. what I kind of use as my medicine. I make sure that I I go and do workout. I go to the gym whenever I can. I used to go six days a week. If I can't go to the gym, I'll go out or run. I'll go into the garden. I'll try and do something to make sure that your body's getting you a little dose. Because I was on antidepressants for about two and a half years. You know, it's and there's reasons why you you, you need to be put on these things to kind of get you through probably moments and. Life. I was doing my coaching badges, my e-license at the time. So, like I say, we can touch on that, touch on all that when we get to it. No, I agree, mate. There's some medicines you need to take, but there's some of nature's medicines which which are equally as good at times. I think it's a good point you've just made. Um, whether it's just looking after yourself in the gym, eating well, and those type of things, it, it's yeah. important. No, just to um, just to touch back on um, your mother then, who's obviously a massive inspiration in your life, Chris. I believe I've, we read that she had three jobs at one point and you've touched on she was a single parent. Did that almost force you to grow up quite quickly? Um, did you have to take yourself to football training and those type of things? It, it can be quite a commitment for a parent when the child's in an academy. How, how was that? 
Well, I, I actually wasn't in an academy, you know, so it was, okay. it was yeah, so well, I'll say my mum, uh, yeah, so we never had a car, my mum never drove, she'd get on the bike everywhere, uh, I did have to, and me, my brother and sister probably did have to grow up a little bit quicker than we did, I went and made sure I, I was, I had a paper run, uh, that, that basically funded me to go and do the things that I needed to do, my friends at weekends and that, I wouldn't put that pressure on my mum, I remember, Going to school, uh, I wouldn't tell my mum about school trips. And then when the school would go away on the school trips, I'd just go in the park with football and I'd be in there all day. I remember I'd get, uh, I, I used to get free meals at school. So you'd have your pass, but if you had a little bit of money left, I remember you'd go down, you'd buy a, a, a 99 chocolate gato cake from one of the, the bakeries and that would do you for the day. And then as soon as you, <laughs> as soon as you see the school buses come back in from the, the all day trip, I just get on uh, get on the bus and head home. And my mum used to go mad at me because the, the teachers would say, "Oh, Chris wasn't at the school trip," and so and she she, under, she understood it that I didn't want to put that pressure on her. But I, uh, I, uh, yeah, I had to. I went out and I made made my own money. You know, I was done the call centre thing with a good friend when we were like 15, 16 year old, and it was old women there that looked after you, bring in cakes every day. You're getting paid, I think, fifteen pound an hour. It was. And you'd work a couple of days and then that would sort you out. So, uh, yeah, you do have to grow up a lot quicker. My my brother and my sister, they both went on to university. They went on and done their master's. My brother's got qualifications coming out, coming out his backside. So that's something that it was like an elite part of the family that I kind of I joined when I, I passed my journalism degree with, with first-class honours, you know, and it was uh, – I, I, I talk about it to my mum all the time. You know, I, think, I don't think she quite understands that we are we are the way that we are because of the way that she brought us up, you know. Yeah, sometimes a little bit harder, you know. The, the emotional side that I, like my missus will tell me that like I struggle to connect with. Sometimes I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't cry. I can't tell you the last time that I did. It's just one of those things that I guess you, it toughens you up. You have to put those walls up, those barriers up. But it's also good that you you allow them, you allow them to kind of, you allow them down every now and again. You allow someone in, you know. But it's uh, it's been. It's been one of those. So this, this, this is this is probably as open as and, and as honest as I can be. You know, I can, I can, I, I can just go off on one. But it is something that I'm, I'm aware of with myself. Is that, yeah, I, I don't know how to put it. I, I there's a, there's a hard side to me that's that can just switch off. You know, I can just say right, okay, I can deal with that. Put it somewhere. But that's not the way to deal with things. You know, and I think it's all about talking, putting it out there. Getting, getting someone's honest opinion by being completely brutally honest with them and uh, and I think that's the way and I think that's why you're doing such a good job guys if, if you can get people just to talk and, and open up and feel comfortable then I think it's it's definitely a way forward yeah that's sort of what we, what we're trying to to do with the podcast is just allow it to be uh, sort of a, a vehicle for people to, to share their thoughts and if anybody resonates with that who's listening then it's job done Um and what I would say, Chris, is it seems like you and your family had a really healthy attitude towards life, not one that was, we're going to think about what we don't have. It was more appreciative of what your mum provided you with and what you were going to make for yourself. So I think you could all be very proud of that as well. Nah, top man, no, you're spot on. I think it is, it's the way to, it's the way you've got to be, I think. You know, obviously there was some hard times, there was some, there was some arguments and fights in there, I'm sure. You know, me and my brother, we were so competitive with everything that was... Uh, it was, uh, it was, but you, like on on your question that you asked as well. It was, yeah, there was no car. So I, I had a friend, Ross Watson, who was also a very 
talented footballer. He actually makes planes now. He he uh, his mum and dad took me, uh, Ross, and myself everywhere. So it was all the same teams that wanted wanted us to play for them. So it started at Loudon Valley under twelves. Funnily enough, I started as a goalkeeper. Well, for them, basically for the fact that uh, I, I played outfield. I played outfield for my my school, and 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 that's where I wanted to play. But I was also very good in goals. But Loudon Valley, they used to under twelves. They used to allow me to dribble out with the ball and all sorts of things. So I think goalkeepers scoring goals. I think that was something that uh, <laughs> maybe maybe I brought to the game. But uh, then all of a sudden, I remember I, I got cup tied. I couldn't play in the cup, and they tried one of my one of the other second goalkeeper who'd done really well, and that was it. As soon as I got, as soon as I started playing outfields, uh, I got sp- spotted by Air United, Air United Football Club, Kilmarnock. Uh, there was a lot of English clubs trying to get me to come down. Uh, I signed the Air United, and uh, I remember one of my school friends, Marco Mancella, he went down to Bolton. So we were the kind of two, the two, the two top picks from from the school, and we played in the same football team as well. Uh, and he actually he, he he got released from Bolton at the age of what. 18 it was, and I I then got let go from Air United. And funnily enough, George Burley was the manager at Air United who let me go. And it was George Burley that gave him my Scotland cap at 30 year old. So wow, it just shows special. you, it's unbelievable, isn't it? So yeah. it's uh, it was one of those you come away. It never really bothered me. I was playing under 18s football when I was 14, 15 years old, and I was top scorer, finishing top goal scorer of the league. I was winning players' player. Uh, uh, and player of the year for for these teams from 15, 16, 17. The funny story, uh, when I was I played for Stewarton under 18s when I was 16 years old and uh, at the presentation night, it was Barry Levetti who presented me with my, my player's player, top goal scorer and the player of the year award and it was eight months, ten months later that I started and he was on the bench for St Mirren uh when I was still at school. So I got I got so I got let go from Air United. I was playing for Stuarton under 18s and pressed there under 18s. Uh I got I played against St Mirren under 18s and I scored a hat trick. We beat them 3-0 and it was just in the it was just the weekend before the school holidays. So they've contacted me and says look why don't you get yourself in for the week? I went up and trained for the week and then I, I scored six Six goals and six reserve games, and then I got the call from the manager saying, "Look, I'm gonna, I want you involved with the first team squad." So uh, they contacted the school. I was allowed Friday off school for the remainder of the season to go in and train, uh, and I scored on my debut. So I had about 16, 17 teachers and a lot of friends from school, family, uh, and we beat Dumbarton, uh, and I got the goal when I came off off from the bench. But Barry Lavetti, I came on. I came on for him and he presented me with my when I was what six years old at but Prince Stewarton and, and Prest there, you know. So it's a, it's a crazy world. Of, yeah, it is. It's a crazy world, you know. Imagine that happening today. A schoolboy coming in. I think when I was at Charlton, uh, I was John Joe Shelby was was I was his taxi really. I picked him up because I lived in I lived uh, in Rittle and he lived uh, just uh, what I'm trying to think, Brentwood. And uh, I'd pick him on the way up, uh, on the way to Charlton. And I just remember 15 years old, the skill that he had. But it doesn't really happen nowadays. 
you know, schoolboys playing when they're still at school, understand the whole YTS and and the academy thing, but uh, I wasn't really part of that. So I finished my schooling. I had the opportunity of going to university or being a professional footballer, and obviously I chose the latter, uh, and, and the rest is history. Yeah, I must admit, we, um, me and Danny are both Tramier fans, and I remember Tramier playing Charlton many years ago. I was in League One, and John Joe Shelby played 16 years old, and he just ran the show. I think they won 4-0, and he yeah. was the mile. And they mean, League One's still a good level to be playing at when you're 16, so he just was a class above anyone on the pitch that day. In terms of your, your um, sort of early success at St. Mirren and, and in youth teams, Obviously, you had a lot of footballing ability, but did, did your size massively help as well? Because you're very athletic, tall, powerful, strong. Did that really help against some of the younger lads as well? I imagine you've just been an absolute handful to mark. <laughs> yeah, well, I was... See, I, I, I never really had this the weight that I had, you know. So, basically, I was I was probably 13 stone wet through. Uh, I was about... Obviously, I had the height and I was I was very fast. Uh, so, that, that did help. But, like I say... Very early on, before uh, in my, my professional career, uh, I, I had that operation. So basically, I had issues with my knee uh, that, that, that did kind of change that. Uh, but no, it wasn't success. I was playing, scoring. I had a lot of interest from from English clubs, uh, and and like the whole the whole the whole Denmark thing came about basically because my agent, you know, the Bosman ruling had just came in. Submitting uh, had offered me a, a, a two-year contract. Tony Fitzpatrick was the manager. He he kind of played this right reverse psychology. He'd bring you into the, the the his office before matches and and tell you what the other manager thought about you to try and kind of get a reaction from you. But you knew what was coming, so it was these kind of little mental games. So I had to kind of be out of the country for 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 more than a year. I signed a three-year contract in Denmark, but that was. That was an experience that was just it was amazing. Came out of the blue and jumped at it. You know, I I just rented, I'd turned professional, I just rented my first place. So I was in my own in my own own flat for six months. Uh didn't stop my mum from popping up every other day, just standing looking at you <laughs> through the window. But uh yeah, it was one of those things. I remember getting on the plane to Denmark when I'd signed the contract. I had obviously had the conversation with St. Mirren, rejected the contract, Tony Fitzpatrick said to me, you know, that you have to stay out of the country for for, for for over a year. And I went, well, good job. I've just signed a three-year contract then. So I'm, get, I'm getting on a plane with a, an A6 hold all with, with a PlayStation and and, uh, and clothes. And that was it. The rest is history, mate. You know, I went over there and, and loved it. Was in a hotel so how for did a bit. that come about, Chris? Just my, my agent, Kenny Moyes, uh, David Moyes, David Moyes' brother, Kenny, it was, was my agent. And he just said, he, uh, he he took me over there, he said, look, there's a team, they're looking for a striker, they want to have a look at you. So I, I met them at their training camp and, uh, and, and, and and basically trained. You know, it was one of those things when the season had finished and uh, they offered me a three-year contract. It was one of those things that was signed. I came back, I remember, uh, it was straight after the season was finished, so fitness and all that was there and they were just basically starting up their, 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 their pre-season uh, and uh, I felt up to speed. Came back. They gave me about three weeks just to kind of off we are we are we are program. Uh, and then I went out there, and they just got promoted from uh, the the Danish uh, Championship to the Danish Super League. And uh, it was yeah, that was it was excellent. It was crazy, you know. I remember getting on uh, getting on getting off the plane and, and met with the the owner of the club. 
and uh, the red carpet and all that, and there was the the, the all the press and all that. It was I'm doing this live press. You got to remember, I came from St Mirren. I came through the I, I just turned professional straight from school, so I hadn't really had that sit down and talk about the the future of the club and where they're going. But I loved it out there. The, the language barrier wasn't an issue. Everyone everyone spoke fluent English. The cinemas were in English with Danish subtitles. You know, TV was basically nearly the same. We, uh, I cooked for myself. I learned all that. I had a lovely uh, city centre apartment that overlooked the canal. So it was, it was just, it was just a. They gave me a company, a club car, as well as I also went out and bought myself a bike because it was all bike lanes and all that. But absolutely loved it, you know. And uh, there was some young players in the team that basically we only a couple, a year, a couple of years older than me that we formed our little group as well. So. It was uh, it was a really enjoyable time, but it was it was one of them. It's football business. It was there was two big teams in our house, obviously our house, Ramad and, and, and AGF, AGF, and uh, we, uh, we we that was the rivalry was there in the top league, you know, and it was something that uh, I thoroughly enjoyed. Just the, the the standard of living over there as well, but that going over there at that age it prepared me for what what was to follow in the, in the career of. Of a, of a football player, it's uh, different dressing rooms, different cultures, and and not being stuck in the same place. You know, it's if I wasn't if I wasn't playing regularly, or I, it's a short career, you have got to get yourself out there and, and play. And that's something that that uh, I had eighteen clubs, obviously four or five loans in there. But you know, I've if you look at it, my, the longest period was at Stoke, and then and of Wolves as well. But uh, it was. There's, there's there's a time when you have to move on just for your own career as well. And how come you did leave uh, Denmark after one season? Was you just keen to come and play in England, or was did something go on there? No, it was it was one of them. The 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 team had got relegated. Uh, I was one of the the. I think I was the highest earner. I, my, my agent had 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 worked some magic. I think he'd said in the in the uh, the contract negotiations that if a team comes in and offer. Two million uh, or two million above, then they have to allow me to talk to them. I think that was just, uh, and that time was a was a lot of money for them. So they basically let me write the contract that I wanted to be over there. Uh, so, like I say, obviously when they got relegated, then I'm still on that that money. So it was basically it was it was time for me to kind of come back rather than, and it was amicable as well. You know, it was one of them. I, they 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 kind of stress to me. Look, you're you're the highest earner. We we can't really afford that money. Uh, and then I've said, right, okay. Then well, I'll let me let me let me go over and try and uh, get back to English football. Obviously, Kenny Moyes' brother, David Moyes, was was uh, manager at Preston. I was just was, about to ask that. <laughs> yeah, and it was Preston that brought me back to English football. So I was with Preston for a week, uh, a week's trial, and uh, went really well. We played against Port Vale at Vale Park, a closed door match. We beat them three 0 I got a goal. Uh, the following morning, on the Thursday morning, my agent was contacted by John Rudge at Stoke City, and basically the contract was there. They'd offered me a contract, basically more than more than what more than what he he was wanting to Preston to offer me, but the contract was there, and I said, "Well, what do you want? What what, what should I do?" And he says, "Well, the contract's here." He says, "I spoke to my brother." Uh, they say that they, they really like you, uh, but they've not put a contract down yet. He says, so I, so I signed the contract with Stoke. Never really knew much about the, the, the club. Uh, and uh, Preston offered me a contract that night. 
So imagine the conversation that uh, David and, and Kenny had, brothers, yeah. saying, all right, we'll give him a contract. Oh, he's already just signed at Stoke. What do you mean? He's been with us Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. <laughs> you know what I mean? Oh, so yeah. that, that went down like a, uh, yeah. I don't know if you're allowed to. Be to Stoke, was that a four-year deal? No, it wasn't a four-year deal. I signed a two-year deal. Uh, then it was another, uh, I signed a contract, again. a contract extension and then Stoke City, Offered me another two years uh, that I that I I, I rejected and, and and moved on for the very fact that Tony Pulis, who who I got on with very well, he'd he'd, uh, he'd offered me a two year contract, but basically in the same couple of weeks the contract negotiations were going on. They signed Adi Akinbaye, Gifton No Williams, Carla Saba, uh, all very like for like, and I know Tony likes to have a the big striker to, to choose from in competition. But I just felt that, you know what, with the experience that these guys had and the quality that I had, that maybe my playing time wasn't going to be so much. So I moved on to Brighton. And it was like, like I say, I, I finished top goal scorer for Stoke in two seasons. We got promoted from League One to the Championship. Uh, and then obviously I, I, got, I went on loan to Brighton and won promotion uh, in that three months that I was there. So there's like I say, there's been a lot of good times, and then also I went on to German football. But there's some great stories along the way as well. So it was uh I wouldn't change anything, you know. It was it was the right time to leave. And it was a relationship, relationship that I've had with with, with the with the people at Stoke City, Wolves, Colchester that, that puts me in good stead now. That's why I still work with Stoke City. Uh I work at match days, all the home games. I, I I'm there doing pitch side analysis. I'm obviously a trustee at the Stoke City Community Trust, and and the same the same with Wolves. You know, I think it's uh, it's important that the non-playing staff has your respect uh, as much. And I, I treat everyone the same. You know, right up from the top, right down to the bottom. You know, and I think that's uh, that's 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 what's put me in a, a good position in life. You know. And just before we get on to the move to to Germany, one question we've asked uh, players who've had careers similar to yours is what change have they seen in the dressing room obviously you you come through in the 90s um and you play all the way up until about 2014-15 season what what is it like now in a modern dressing room compared to what it was like in the 90s what big changes have you seen well a lot let's just say a lot of things used to kind of go on that some of the things i could tell you you know teams i've certain teams i've played we've played blacks against whites that that just wouldn't happen now. Catholics against Protestants, you know, and it's it's just all ban it's it's banter that 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 does flop with or cross the line. You know, I've been in I've been in I've been in dressing rooms where there's 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 players that that, that take offence, and this is something that that I talk about openly. You know, I've sat in and I've I remember I remember tying my boots up going out for a match when I played at a football club and uh, and a banana lands at my foot. And I wow. think, yeah, but I look up and it's one of the other black players that's throwing it, like laughing, sniggering, and it's and it's little things. So when I'm doing my talk, it's like there's a certain standard of behaviour that that you you have to you have to basically kind of nullify. So those kind of things can't happen. They should have yeah. been able to happen then, but they can't happen now because it's so important that that the like you say the 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 the, the, the black players the. Uh, that they, they, they respect themselves, that they, they, they don't use certain words to talk to each other, you know, because I think it's, there's, we've kind of, it's difficult to actually put it into words, just that 
there's certain things that, that, that have went on in, in football in, in, all, in, all diff, in, all, in all different sporting, uh, uh, professional sports in the dressing room that, that, that is classed as banter that would absolutely shock the public, you know, things that go on in the dressing room that the dressing room itself would probably find very funny, but as soon as it comes out into the public domain, it would it would it would it would be nuclear, you know. So it's just something now that these things don't happen because I think all the players now are very much uh, as much as they are a team, they're very much individuals as well. But they all have they all have a voice if it's social media platforms, whatever it is. So. I think it's, and this is something that has to be, has, the, the young players coming through now that have got social media, that grew up with social media, uh, they know they know exactly what they can say and what they, what they can't, but even still, uh, they're getting pulled up on certain things. I never had social media when I played, you know, for the very fact that you used to have a meeting with the PFA every every preseason to see what you can and what you can't do, and even still, there'd be still players that would be stepping over the line, getting fined, getting suspended, such and such. But you know, there's it's there's there's old school managers, there's old school players, and I'm afraid the old school wouldn't survive in today's dressing room. You know, I've when I came through at St Mirren, the the YTS. I remember on a Friday, the, the assistant manager would take the head boy and go around and make sure all the jobs were done. If the jobs weren't done, then there'd be forfeits, fines, singing in front of the lads. You know, I was in the boot room. I signed a professional contract, so I never done YTS, but I still got put in the group boot room for my first year because it, it grounds you, it gives you a sense of responsibility. But I remember every if there was any errors through that week, then the manager and the assistant manager would come in the boot room the door would get locked and the lights would go off and you had to fight. You, you had to fight. You know, it's one of those things you as soon as the light went on, as soon as the light, as soon as the light went on, then you couldn't everything had to stop and you had to just tidy it all up. But you were allowed to you're allowed to hit the manager, you, the assistant, and it was and it was you'd all walk out of there laughing. You know, that wouldn't happen today. You know, at academies, they're not even allowed to do to do the professional players' boots now because it's uh it's 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 classed as degrading. Whereas I remember at all the football clubs that I had, I had one of the the YTS boys do my boots that I would sort them out. He'd get fifty quid if I scored a hat trick. He'd get ten quid if I got a goal. And that was that was that was a few of the clubs at Colchester. What well, I got 37, 39 goals in in two seasons. You know what I mean? That's a lot of money. A few hat tricks in there as well. Yeah. So it's just one of those things that grounds you, and that's. What I'm trying to say is, like a lot of these academies today, like the, technically the under twenty threes football, I think it's fantastic. Technically, unbelievable. But are the coaches, are the club actually preparing these players for what is a very harsh, harsh world and the reality of the professional football game? So when these players come through as pros and then get into the first team squads, they have to be schooled again. So there has to be a balance, and this is something that the FA haven't really come out and said. Yeah, you can, you can do this, but you can't do that. You know, there's a lot of there's a lot of coaches. You, you obviously know what happened with Craig Bellamy at Cardiff. That was a disgrace. Yeah. You know, but you look at Steve Stone at, at Burnley that shouting at a player is classed as bullying. Well, wait a minute, what's that player going to do when he's sat in front of a crowd of twenty five thousand and half of them are are booing and, and giving him stick? Is he going to crumble or, or not? So there has to be a, a, a toughness there, and I've, I've I've spoke about it on air. And it's one of those. It does. It definitely. 
it definitely kind of uh, it brings an ar a good argument from both sides, but certain things have to be instilled in rules so we know where to take it because we have to be we have to be realist here, gentlemen. We live in a very uh, a very harsh world, you know that you have to be you have to have a thick skin at times. Yeah, you have to be prepared for for difficult times, uh, and I just feel that, like you say, uh, podcasts like this, any information going out there about mental health. I think it, it, it makes us stronger because knowledge is power. So I think it's definitely the right thing, but there's there's certain things that need to be tweaked and put into place. Uh, so when you ask me about, because I've came right through, I've sat in dressing rooms where, oh God, I'm trying to think of some stories that I can tell you on here. I don't know how how much you, you screen it or edit it. We, we can edit it, so just say yeah. what you want and we can worry about it later. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, you're, you're, you're sitting in the physio room and the door opens and someone urinates in the, 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 the door. And this is, at a, this is at a big club. The the standard fine for the physio room was 375 quid. As soon as he's finished, the hand comes in with 375 quid and just throws it in the, the dressing room. Now, that's a, that's, that, that's a bit of a crazy side of football. But then yeah. you look at the side of football where you see all these footballers going out and we're going to the... The hospitals and visiting really poor children that are that are probably only going to be be alive for the, the the following couple of months and the charity work that gets done and not everyone shouts it from the the rooftops you know it's people do things in, in different ways some people want all the the credit and they put themselves out there and in, in, uh, in the public eye doing things like that but there's good and bad stories so I've I've experienced experienced both uh, and I like to think that. I was the kind of sensible one in, 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 in the dressing room that, that never took things too far. But it's important to kind of get involved with a bit of the banter. But uh, there's there's definitely lines that you shouldn't cross. I think you've hit the nail on the head, Chris. The need, you need to address the balance. I don't think everything in, in the changing rooms in the 80s and 90s was bad. But there was clearly negative elements. And they, they rightfully, hopefully now not in the game. But equally... You don't want to make the game too sanitised. You are taking a group of competitive men who are probably from a small percentage to have even made it that far in the game. Ultra competitive. And you can see how competition builds and banter gets quite serious. And obviously that just needs to be controlled. But one thing we've touched on in this podcast is the removal of reserve team football into yeah. this very sanitised under-23 game, whereby players just aren't learning the game with with other real men they're just yeah. almost in this self-contained sort of element until they're in almost early to mid-20s and it just can't be good for an individual's development what yeah. are your thoughts on the removing of reserve team football yeah i totally agree i totally agree i think uh, you're looking at you're looking at the the under 23 leagues you're looking at especially at the top level as well you know i think uh a lot of these players are on like 10, 15, 20,000 a week. You know, they, there's, there's no reason for them to to move on and uh, and play. I think Jaden Sancho kind of opened that can of worms by going out and playing football and all of a sudden gets an England cap, probably worth over 100 million now. And if he never uh, rejected that contract at Man City, then that wouldn't have, have happened, you know. So you look at the likes of like Phil Foden there, who's definitely good enough to be playing and probably any other Premier League team, but can't really kind of get the, the minutes in his leg. So I'm a big, I'm, I'm not a fan of the 23 league. I think if you look at the likes of Brentford, Brentford have taken their team out away from these leagues because the players were getting poached. So what they do, they, they go around the world, they have an international league and they try and play, uh, but it's competitive football uh, as, as, as well as can be. But that model works for, for, for Brentford. 
reserve team football was excellent. For me, it had everything. I had professional players coming back from injury. Uh, had, you know, all ages, my proper man's football, you know, and, and and like you say, I don't I don't let my daughters beat me at Monopoly or whatever. <laughs> Never mind. You just have that competitiveness in you. Like my, my missus has a go at me all the time. It's just the game. Like I, it's, it's crazy because especially now, like we play we play FIFA, we, we play UFC, uh Gran Turismo, we've got all the games and I'm like I if she if she beats me I I'm spewing. I am spewing me. I'm not happy. I'm not happy. You can sit, throw my toys out the pram, whatever it may be. I and it's like it's just one of those things and it's my girls have pulled me up about it as well. It's just it's it's instilled in us. So when you're playing 23 football, and I do a lot of the, the commentary that Wolves under 23 games, uh, and they do it the right way. I have to say, Wolves, a lot of their players are out on loan playing uh playing in the leagues. Uh, and it's under 18s that are playing under 23 football. But let's talk about a couple of weeks ago. They went, no, well, a couple of months ago, they went and played Leicester. And all Leicesters are 22, 23 year old. I think Leicester won 5 1. But again, that'll do those 18 year olds good going and playing against men that have played first team football, such and such. There's some 16 year olds in that as well. 15 year olds come through Wolves because all Wolves are out there playing. So. There's, there's, it's down to the club to kind of make sure that the players are prepared for what's going to come when, when they turn professional. And I don't think that under-23 league uh, ticks that box. Yeah, I agree. And even as a lower league football fan supporting Tranmere, everyone always says to us, well, don't you get the lads from Everton and Liverpool? And what we often find is the ones that come in at 16 and 18 haven't either decided to leave Liverpool or Everton or even been released, tend yeah. to go on to have better careers like Gareth Roberts, Ryan Taylor, yeah. Lee Jones, people like that, as opposed to the ones we get at 23, 24, who've spent 16 to 23 with the same pool of players playing the same sort of standard and pace of the game. Yeah, well, that's, um, it. that's it. There's, no, there's nothing. There's nothing that can that can uh, can obviously uh, uh, compete with going out there and, and actually playing playing men's football. You know, the ones that come out at 16, 17, 18 and the likes playing at the the national league, playing in the in League Two. You know, it's a very good standard. You know, and some of them can even play a little bit higher than that League One and 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 odd few in the Championship, but there's nothing that prepares you from sitting in a dressing room with the lads that need to get a win bonus, uh, the, the desire to win, rather than, you know, that you're out there and you're just, you're improving as an individual. I, I got I got the, the, the under-18s job at Wolves uh, and I was only in the job a very short time because media commitments and, and family commitments, but it was something that, it wasn't about winning, it was just about improving and I didn't quite understand that because you need to have that desire to win uh, and if, if if you're not drilling that into the players then they're not going to be ready to to, to kind of get on, get on and, and, and be competitive in the professional game so it, it was a few question marks uh, about that but uh, again it's down to how the, the coach puts that over and puts it across but we are, hopefully, we, we will get there. But I'm not, like you say, I agree with I'm not a fan of the 23. Yeah, I, I agree, mate. Um, so you've, after obviously, had a few loan spells, you've you settled down really well at Colchester. And um, I mean, I remember that Colchester team. You you almost flirted with the playoffs to the Premier League your first year in the in the Championship as well. And you, you had yeah. a great start. Was that a great period in your career, some of your best football? Yeah, well, it kind of kick-started my career. You know, I, I came back from Germany 
uh, before I went over to Germany, I had about, I think, well, I went to, Brighton took over my contract for the final three months of the season. So I, Stoke sold me to Brighton. Uh, and then basically my contract, I was a free agent. I had about 20 clubs after me. Uh, Brighton offered me a two-year contract and we were, the I think it broke down on real, the relocation package rather than the contract itself. Uh, then the, the German club came in for me. Now, the German club, Phil Parkinson was already Colchester manager and he he had expressed to take me uh, from Stoke on loan. He then, I scored a couple of goals against Colchester for Brighton when I went on loan. We got promoted to the championship with Brighton. My contract, I was a free agent. Uh, and then my agent, I had a German agent and he brought me a club from Germany that had, uh, that was in the second Bundesliga but it got to the final of the German Cup, so they made it into the Europa League. And uh, I went over there, and basically I was a free agent. I trained for f a week, and they offered me a three-year contract. Uh, and that was it. They basically, it was a, they, there was 16 new players in a squad of 23. And uh, we, I remember we all, we all joined together. The standard was unbelievable. I don't think we got beat for the first three, three and a half months of the season. We qualified through the group stages. We got to the last, uh, the 32 uh, of the last uh, 16 of the, the Europa League. Uh, wow. And then, yeah, and it was it was fantastic. It was excellent. Still got great friends over there that I speak to that are uh, that are managing over there. Dieter Hacken, uh, he's went on to, to manage uh, three, four teams in, in the Bundesliga and the Champions League, all sorts. I still get the... I still get the, the 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 New Year's the Christmas message from him. Go get! I think I scored seventeen goals in my in pre-season, and I still never started the first game. Eric Come Meyer, do you, do you remember Eric Meyer? Played for Liverpool. Played for Liverpool. He was yeah. a strike. He was the striker who was in front of me, and uh, he was the big he was the big name the 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 Dutch international. And uh, I remember I, I, my head was gone. That he never told us a team until match day. I remember. We were still training the morning of, just doing set pieces and all that, and you still couldn't tell what the team was going to be. And then after we trained, he told us the team, and I remember I couldn't sleep. I was absolutely raging. We'd went to uh, we'd went to Holland for a tournament. I'd finished top scorer of that tournament, uh, and I thought I'd ticked every box. You know, it was very different to football, but the physical side still came out. I was uh, the referees. Even though I won the ball, they'd still give free kicks against me because I, you'd, you'd knock the player, and it was I found that quite difficult. But I loved every part of it. Loved, loved living in Aachen. Uh, I used to drive over to Maastricht in Holland. It was right on the border of Maastricht in Belgium to go to the cinema. It was twenty minutes in the car, but it was just a different lifestyle altogether. Uh, I had English Sky out there. I had the dish out there, so all the players would come to my house and we'd watch the English Premier League. Everyone just loved the English Premier League, and then they knew that they could watch it. So everyone would come round mine, we'd watch the games, order in food, and it was just uh, no, it was really good squad as well, really good group of players. But Germ Germany was very different. But Phil Parkinson had kept in touch with me that whole time. Uh, so when when it was time to come back. I remember uh, they, they paid up one year of my contract and uh, and I, I was allowed to come back and it was Colchester or Doncaster. So I remember I met uh, Dave Penny, 
Doncaster and and, uh, and Phil Parkinson. But Phil Parkinson had touched base with me a couple of times throughout that that first season in Germany, and, and all he said was like, he says, if you're playing football regularly, he says you'll you'll be scoring goals. So just and that was it. Down in Essex, I remember I signed at the team and read the paper, and we were favourites to get relegated. I thought, what is going on here? But I knew it very early doors from the the group of players that that we were we were in with a, a real good chance of getting promoted. You know, I yeah, think you, had a, you had a brilliant squad. I mean, you and yeah. Kuro up front, you had Neil well, Dan. Kuro only started, uh, he only joined later on that, that season. He came in on loan, uh, but like you say, we had Neil Dans, Richard Garcia, Kevin Watson, Kemi Izzet, Greg Halford, you know, Carl Duguid, Wayne Brown, you know, everyone, Aidan Davidson in goals. It was, there was, it was just a fantastic squad. And obviously when we got promoted, uh, then we signed uh, Kuro permanently. Uh, that Johnny Jackson as well. Johnny Jackson. Johnny Jackson came in on loan, and then we made it permanent in the championship season. So we had some great depth, great depth there, and we really challenged. We turned over so many teams at, at Leia Road. You know, I, I remember I scored four goals. We beat Hull five one in the championship. I got four and made the fifth for Kuro as well. I remember. Look at the paper, you get a nice little 10 the next day, but it was just, they went up 1-0 as well. And then I think I equalised on the 20th minute, but we beat them 5-1 in the end. And Phil Parkinson got us promoted the first year, then went to Hull. And then Grant Williams, who was his assistant, took over as manager. So Phil Parkinson got sacked the, the after we beat them 5-1 at, at Lear Road. And this is a, a manager that well, I still speak to today. You know, he's a great guy, great, great, great man that I'd always kind of touch base with. But... He, he felt I couldn't even look him in the eye after the game because you knew that he was he was gone the day after, you know. Yeah, it it was um it was really weird that people seemed to underrate that side and they just kept winning and I think momentum in football is just a funny thing, isn't it? Positive or negative? If you you're on a winning streak, it can just continue and continue and equally. Since they moved into that stadium, Colchester, the new one, they just seem to have not been able to turn things around. But I don't know. Yeah. Um, no, that's a, you, yeah. you get big moves to to Charlton and then eventually Wolves, where you where you grace the Premier League and. That period from sort of your first year at Colchester to sort of joining Burnley, I think you scored over half your career goals in them four or five years. Yeah. It was just a, a great spell for you. Was you just loving your football at the time? Yeah, you know what? It was, uh, I remember my, I had two years at Colchester and then they offered me a contract, but I was out, I was, my contract was coming to an end. I'd scored 18 goals in the championship. Uh, my agent was getting the phone was non-stop. I, I done seven medicals that 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 summer. Uh, I remember the first one was at Coventry, uh, and they put me through everything. I knew as soon as I passed that that I'd pass any other medical. I done one at Leicester, I think Notts, Nottingham Forest. Oh, the list goes on. Uh, and I remember just towards the end, Phil Parkinson became Alan Pardew's assistant manager at Charlton. And they just came in. They just got relegated from the Premier League, and they just they blew everyone away. You know, like money wise, that's when yeah. that's when the money just went through the roof. You know, and uh, and that was when I was twenty eight. So you got to remember what I told you earlier. I got told I was only going to be playing until I was 27, 28. Uh, and my, basically, I signed a three year contract with Charlton uh, for for more money than than I'd ever even thought about. Uh, so it was one of those things. I was only player that first season. I finished top goal scorer at Charlton, but I was only player to be involved in every game 
uh, in the whole squad. Uh, but he, he brought in, uh, there was Luke Varney, uh, Isaac McLeod, uh, Andy Gray. Uh, put Andy Gray on, he was on massive money as well, ridiculous money. Uh, Luke Varney was as well. Uh, I'm trying to think who's the other strikers. Uh, uh, anyway, I played all the games and uh, I got a call the, that following summer and it was Mick McCarthy. Mick McCarthy's just on the phone and he said, look, I've just been offered you. Uh, Charlton have offered me you for one of the defenders that I've got. I never knew nothing about this. So, like, I've called Phil Parkinson and said, look, uh, Mick McCarthy's just called and said that he's have offered me to such and such and Phil's went, well, I'll have to, I'll have to get back to you, Chris. I, I don't know nothing about it. So straight away, I remember the first day of pre-season at Charlton, I've had to go in, chap on Alan Pardew's door and say, look, I'm as fit as I can be and that I was, I made sure of it. Uh, I says, uh, you've offered me to Wolves, that's where I want to be. Not interested in, uh, in being here anymore because he, he, he made some comment that Luke Varney and Andy Gray was going to be his number one and two strikers from the last game of the season. Uh, and uh, and that was it. I, I had to kind of I had to kind of play hardball kind of for the first time in my career. Uh, they put it out that he, he made the 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 heads the head scout that had offered me come in and apologise to me because he'd done it off his own back. So I don't I don't think he would have done it off his own back, but I think it was Alan Pardew trying to cover his tracks. But we we like we still got on. I trained, uh, played. Uh, and, and ten days, uh, ten days later, I signed at at, uh, at Wolves. So I think uh, there was a few Crystal Palace came in, Neil Warnock, uh, Nottingham Forest, Brighton. Uh, so it was just one of those things. I uh, I went to Wolves and they got the. I've got to say, Wolves probably got the best out of me. What fifteen goals in my first twelve games, uh, and then I got injured. But you know what? That's what kind of opened the door for me internationally as well. When I got to Charlton, you you got to think about the goals that I scored, scored at Colchester. The Scotland the Scotland call up never came. When I got to Charlton, then all of a sudden I got into Scotland B team, and then obviously when I got to Wolves and obviously the form that I started, I got into the the first team and uh, and obviously the, the 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 rest is history. We all know what happened. I seen that was one of your questions as well. Eh?